The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning. If this is your first time here or tuning in online, thank you for joining us. You can be emailed our weekly newsletter, including the link to the order of service and Sunday live stream, every week if you fill out one of our connections forms. They are on the welcome table outside of the sanctuary and available through a link in the video description and in the order of service. For our first special announcement, I would like to invite Dolores Perez-Hilbron and David Hilbron. Good morning, everybody. We are feeling very enthusiastic today. We have the latest updates on the pledge effort for our next fiscal year, thanks to all of you who have pledged in the last week. Dave has the news. Good morning. I first want to say that the past two weeks have been a bit distracting with the bank failure news but now stability seems to be returning. We are happy to report that 100 of our households have sent in pledges, bringing the total up to 375,000, or 50% of the way to our goal. We wish to acknowledge that the pledges are also from visitors and friends, not just members. So, special thanks again. We believe that's wonderful progress at this point. And to those of you who have not had the opportunity yet to make your pledge, if you are wondering whether you, we need your pledge, let's be clear, we do. <laughs> We'd like to be in touch with you too, especially if you have any questions or concerns about this effort. Please leave a message for the Stewardship Committee or Vanessa or Yunus your ideas and commitment are most interesting and important to us. Today, we'd like to invite all of you to join us at the coffee hour in a little celebration to show several things. First, our gratitude to all our loyal members, to welcome our new members, and to say a huge thank you to staff member Joe Chapeau who is transitioning after <laughs> transitioning after faithfully serving our society for eight years. We will miss you, Joe. He will be present to hear our appreciation for his work. Oh, <laughs> and please come to the table and pledge today if you have not already, or Put your pledge in the plate as it passes today. Thank you. Now we're going to talk about the banners. We appreciate your help in brainstorming words and the design choices for our banners. We especially want to thank Sarah Ellerman for her wise counsel on the final banners that will be shown here in a minute. As you have already heard, they will hang at the western corner where Gary Boulevard splits as you approach the church building, either walking or driving towards Franklin Street. And now we are ready to roll out the designs. Da -da -da -dum, da -da. 
blue sky, whoops. <laughs> See the rainbow. Yeah. It's <laughs> really nice. Just to add a comment, it was mentioned Star King Way banners. Star King is where Geary splits the South Branch, could become Star King for a block before it becomes O'Farrell. So it's, it's actually right on that corner. Uh, in the final design, we reduced the number of words in order to reduce the number of accidents we may cause by people seeing them. The words on top of the second banner, I wish we still had the picture, are drawn largely from our mission vision statement, aspirational words that endeavor to describe us, and the two brief phrases at the bottom which reflect our desired actions and goals. The chalice was redone by Jonathan Silk that shows a rainbow circle around it. That is an invitation to LGBTQI friends and neighbors that they are welcome here. And the banners are being printed as we speak and should be ready to hang within two weeks time. So the banners help to proclaim our identity to all passing by. Thank you again for your pledge contributions to this institution and what it stands for, as the banners clearly show. See, See you, at you at the, the coffee, coffee hour. hour. Next, I would like to uh, invite Joe Chapeau forward. I am a sensitive boy. I've often said I can fill dead air and I'm somewhat lost for words coming up here today. Uh, 
I have a few things to share, but for those who, just to be clear, don't know, I've been working here for a long time, and this is my last day. And um, working here was a, a literal dream come true. I always wanted to work for my church, and I was given the opportunity first to create a young adult program and then to basically get a bucket and then to just put responsibilities into it because someone had to buy paper and Vanessa's paid way too much to like be concerned herself with that. Um, but I, I feel like these last several years, like I've been part of transforming this community. Um, and, you know, helping it run like a real modern kind of place. And, and it, it, you know, I want to leave things better as I found them, and I really feel like this place is on the right track, that I, I have no hesitancy in inviting anyone to be a member here. It's, it's not perfect, okay? It, it's still going to have challenges, but I know that we have the systems and structures and the culture in place that's like, okay, we can deal with the challenges as they come up. And like, there's nothing that makes me feel more safe and secure than a community like that. So thank you all for doing the work these last several years with me to just make this, a, you know, I, this is a flagship Unitarian Universalist congregation, and it's really starting to feel like one these days. So, yeah. Uh, second, just to be clear, I'm, I'm going to keep serving the movement, okay? I'm called to share this beautiful community with the world, and I'm going to figure out a way to keep doing that. Um, you know, beyond these walls. And in a way, I already do. For those who don't know, I started a global young adult community while I was here, um, and, and I hope to start more projects, too. Um, now, let me be clear. I'm not going, I'm not moving, okay? Uh, I am, I'm, I'm the fourth generation San Franciscan. I am firmly rooted here. And this is my home church that I've been part of for over 20 years now. I am going to take a much-needed break from Sundays, okay? I am looking forward to having my weekends back. And I'm leaving you one Jayanti, who's worth at least one, probably one and a half of me. So you guys will be, you guys will be good. I don't know. I think she's in the room right now, um, wherever you are, baby. <laughs> I love you. And, um, you know, these last couple of weeks, uh, people have been coming up to me and saying all the time, you know, thank you for being that friendly first face that I met. And that is exactly the kind of person I wanted to be here. I wanted to be that, that just pure, like, hey, welcome, come on in. You're, you found a home you can try out and maybe be a part of. And, you know, any of you can do that, is the reality. I'm really practiced, okay? I'm like a professional. I worked nightlife for years, too, before I worked here. Very, very trained at welcoming folks, but anyone here can do it. And I think in that UU way, I, would, I really would say it's, it's just two things. It's, you gotta be a little vulnerable, 
and just a whole lot of leaven to anyone who walks through these doors. Now, that doesn't mean put yourself in danger, okay? Use your intuition. But if someone's walking in here, we want to give them, I mean, this is what we do, right? As Unitarian Universalists, we'd love them as much as we would love anyone else in this room. And if you take that on and you treat everyone who walks through those doors that way, you'll, you'll, you will all be Joe Chapeau for someone else. So it's been a total ride. I am so excited to come back next calendar year as a member, as just another one of you. You will probably find me back at the front you know, desk welcoming folks, because that's what I'd love to do here. Thank you to, you know, first, thanks to my dad who brought me to this church over 20 years ago. He passed away several years. I still think about him and this space to his day. In fact, I was going through old files last night of his, and there was stuff about church that I came across. Thank you to the staff. Like, working, like, I'm in my 30s, working with a staff that's 20 years older than me. It's a challenge, but I feel like I was like accelerated. Hey, this is the truth, but I got this accelerated wisdom and guidance constantly. And to all the leaders I've worked with as well, God, I've learned a lot from you all. And of course, to Jayanti, my rock. So I love you all, and I'll see you soon enough. Thank you. There will be, uh, as mentioned, time for celebration of Joe, among other things, after the service. Um, and I would like to say, on behalf of the young adults here at UUSF, a heartfelt thank you. Joe, eight years ago, was that friendly first face to me, and I'm not sure if I would be here involved in all the ways that I am if not for Joe welcoming me in, introducing me to the young adult community that they had already started to cultivate just a few months into their job and inviting me to all of the events that they uh, were organizing. There are many more announcements in the order of service um, and I would like to draw attention to a few. Um, so, Minister Emeritus John Burens has an upcoming class series called Ups and Downs for UUs in San Francisco. Sign-ups are open for our community Passover Seder, which is on April 7th. We will hold another White Allies meeting this Thursday at 6 p.m. in the Fireside Room in person. And next Saturday, uh, April 1st, the Faithful Fools will have their 25th anniversary. This is an outreach ministry that our congregation has long supported. And um, if you want to attend in person for singing, dance, and a little bit of clowning, uh, reservations are required for, for capacity reasons. Um, yes, and Carmen will be in the, in, in the breezeway um, with, with tickets. Um, finally, our offering today 
will benefit the Center for Farmworker Families. They are currently helping the absolutely devastated community of Pajaro down in Monterey County, which flooded a few weeks ago after a levee broke in one of the storms. And uh, while we do not usually do special collections during the month of our pledge drive, we feel called to support this extraordinarily vulnerable community in this time of immense need. With all that said, please join me in our unison chalice lighting. The words are in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
I want to thank Gino Fortunato for representing the membership committee today. The rest of um, this committee will be serving you cake and greeting you, and we're there to witness the signing of the book this morning. Can the members of the membership committee please just stand or wave from where you are so that we can see you and appreciate you? There are a few of you. Where are you? Oh, look at these little, these little demure waves. Like, how are we going to find you with this teeny tiny wave? All right. Well, thank you all. These are the folks who, in addition to Joe, are doing the work of welcoming new folks as soon as we meet them, who meet with folks in the newcomer orientations and reach out throughout the process. And we'll have to do so even more so with Joe missing from the front and from the staff. So another shout out to Joe for the steady connection, particularly in this last class of members that he really has brought into the church and it's part of the reason it's such a fitting day for his celebration and as we welcome them. I'm going to invite forward by name those folks who have let us know that they have an intention to desire to join the church to this Sunday morning. I'd invite them to join us here below the stairs. Cathay and Don Karen. if you can, and there's seats in the front pew too, so everybody make yourself comfortable. This should be joyful and comfortable. Bruce Clements, related to Hannah Hart, by the way, her father, just so you know. Jennifer Hutchins, Vicki Lang, Nancy Mons, who I feel like we need to sing in to membership. She's one of our singers. Jordan Ong, who you'll hear more from later today. Chris Valentine. Tayan Sao. And is there anyone else who, uh, so, excuse me. Is there anyone else who hasn't let us know that you want to join today, but you thought you were going to join? Because we can welcome you. Okay. Every once in a while, there's one. Welcome. The steps to membership are simple. Meet with the minister, make a financial pledge of record, and sign our membership book. But becoming a member asks much more. It asks for a commitment, a commitment to be part of the rituals and rites of passage of this community, a commitment to learning and growing, an ongoing exploration of one's faith and what it means, making time for fun, community building, and making connections with one another. A commitment to be part of service and, a deepening, and deepening the call to love one another, to work for justice and peace, and to bring healing to the world. The steps to membership are simple, but the act of membership is sacred. We are delighted that you have made the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco your spiritual home. We welcome you. In some ways, the spirit of this hour is reflected beautifully by, in this reading by Starhawk. She writes, we are all longing to go home to some place. We have never been, a place half remembered and half envisioned. We can only catch glimpses from time to time. Community, somewhere there are people to whom we can speak with passion without having the words catch in our throats. Somewhere a circle of hands will open to receive us, 
eyes will light up as we enter, voices will celebrate with us whenever we come into our own power. Community means strength that joins our strength to do the work that needs to be done. Arms to hold us when we falter, a circle of healing, a circle of friends, someplace we can be free. This is a day of celebration for all of us to honor your commitment to becoming members of the First Unitarian Society, Universalist Society of San Francisco, a decision that gorgeous souls have been making since October of 1850. We know from experience that we will be enriched and changed by all of you as we already have been and more deeply so, and we hope to be enriching and supportive companions to you. We look forward to this journey together. I want to ask first the members of this congregation to join together in welcoming these new members, people who will enlarge our circle of community, be ready to embrace the gifts and energies they bring, and excited, too, for the challenges and possibilities that they'll lay before us as we engage in what it means to constantly be co-creators of community together. So I'm going to ask you, existing members of this community, a question, and will you answer me please by saying the words that are printed in your order of service? My question is simple. Will you join me in welcoming these new members to this community? We will. We not only welcome you, but also promise to nurture you and support your journey, providing our friendship, sharing our life experiences, inviting your questions, and stepping into what life together and the world will ask of us. With eagerness and expectation, we look forward to working alongside you and building beloved community together. Welcome home. I would like to invite our newest members standing here to join me in saying the promises and pledges printed in the order of service as you take this step. Words like these have been said by all of us in a moment such as this for all the decades of commitment. Like in all rituals of commitment, your promises remind us of our own. Please, will the newest members say with me these words of promise? Eagerly and with enthusiasm, we bring to this place our gifts and talents, life experiences and wisdom, questions and challenges. We look forward to being co-creators of this beloved community and serving its mission with joys. Let us please put our hands together to welcome the newest members of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. So they know, but you all should know, and the folks who joined in December should know because there's one waiting for, for you in the office too, that you get this evangelizing coffee mug. So when someone asks you, what is this thing on the Golden Gate Bridge, you can tell them about Unitarian Universalism in a couple of sentences, so practice, and about this community. Welcome to membership, and we're going to greet one another, and as we do so, we are going to enjoy our special music for the occasion. Let's greet one another, and let's greet our new members.
Please join in our spoken covenant and sung doxology. The words are in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. It's not usual that you join the church and right away they ask you to do a reflection. But Jordan's a fabulous and unusual person and he's sharing our last of our annual giving month reflections this morning. So welcome and thank you, Jordan. Hi, everyone. Uh, as you know, I'm Jordan Ong, and as you saw, I'm a new member to the church. I started coming as soon as lockdown was over when UUSF resumed in-person services about a year ago. And today, here I stand, having signed the illustrious book containing the signatures of all of you and thousands of members that have come through the doors of this church over hundreds of years. All not 30 minutes ago. <laughs> now that the ink is dry, I can confess to you that you might recognize me as the person that is consistently 20 minutes late for service. <laughs> I really do apologize for that, but uh, Believe it or not, 11 a.m. is still a little bit too early for me. Now, before all that jazz, uh, when I first considered how much I would pledge to become a member of UUSF, I did what my background as a data analyst with an interest in economics told me to do. I asked myself, if I give money to UUSF, what is the opportunity cost of that money? Could I give that money to another organization focused on social justice or a political organization advocating for economic equality? Could I just spend that on a fun night out? Should I instead increase 
how much I give to other charities, including ones with direct impact like UUSC or Act Blue. From a strictly utilitarian point of view, that would be the most effective way to make a change, yes? X amount of dollars equals Y amount of votes, and that ends up creating Z amount of happiness. Very simple, very straightforward. But somewhere in my heart, I know that thinking seems just a bit too easy, too reductive, that there was more to UUSF than getting the most immediate needs out of the proverbial, sorry, getting the most immediate ends out of the proverbial means. So when I began to think about the faces, specifically what I saw in the faces of all of you over the past years, I thought of the passion in Reverend Vanessa's face when she talked about the dualism of faith. The excitement in Lori and Dolores' faces when they would tell me about the work of the women's rights groups. The joy on Cheryl Diener's face as she was dancing at the auction she worked so hard to organize. <laughs> and there she is. <laughs> and the curiosity on Joe's face when he would ask a newcomer how their day went. In so many of you, I see the kindness, the dedication, the joy in making a church that supports and encourages good people to do good things. Furthermore, I have noticed a change in myself. Before coming to UUSF, you might have seen me politely nod at the thought of promoting voter registration, reducing my meat consumption, and serving complete strangers in the community. But it was a less than 10% chance that I would have actually done it. Nor would have I felt the conviction to go on to promote such actions among my, among my circle of friends. And finally, it hit me like a collision with a 38 bus going full down, full speed down Geary. My pledge is an investment not in the church itself, but in the work of its people. It is a belief that with just a few basic resources, a meeting space, a supportive staff, and maybe a delicious potluck or two, that we can unlock the awesome synergy of this congregation. If this congregation is the seed, this building the fertile ground, then a pledge is the water that allows our dreams for a better world to burst forth into reality, blessed by the sunshine that are our hopes and commitments. Together, we are more conscious, more compassionate, 
and frankly, do more good things because we are supported by, influenced by, and sometimes pressured by each other. And that's why this pledge to this community has an impact that repays the world many times over. It is for that reason that I consider my pledge to be the best opportunity for the cost, an opportunity that overrides any cost-benefit calculation that one might throw at it. So in closing, I want to say thank you for accepting us new members, myself, into your community and providing us with a chance to grow in the warmth of your life. have words of a prayer and meditation written for this morning, but I'm going to set them aside. I do want to name that I think we're all holding people, the farm workers and the families, the floods, and the people in Mississippi this morning who've been ravaged by the tornadoes of last night, and that we all have private, intimate, and also larger shared in the world worries and concerns and hopes and hurts that we're holding. But I'd like to put words aside and just do a body prayer. I think we need to be in our bodies. So you can do this seated. If that makes you more comfortable, those of you who know it, you, you, you know what's coming. And, and if you feel comfortable, you can stand. And I want to say about this that you can enter into it however you want or just sit quietly, but it's a chance to have a practice um, that connects us to the place that we live um, and that has a lot of wisdom. 
And also the prayer itself has a lovely message that's appropriate for today. So I invite those of you who are willing to, to rise as you're able and others to sit seated. You can do it either way. And you feel free to take what you need. Spiritual practices are not there. As one guru in India said, try this, and if it doesn't feed your spirit and bring you peace, don't do it anymore. Even though it's a practice, he teaches all of his disciples, right? So in that spirit. So let's begin with our hands clasped at sort of the heart center. And grounded, if you're standing in feet wide enough that you feel like a tree rooted, as rooted as you can be, given your body and its abilities and needs. Push your arms upward toward the ceiling, but also imagine the sky and the heavens, the expanse of stars and the vastness beyond the ceiling. And open your arms to that vastness. Be made aware of it again, taken out of our own individual lives. And as you hold your arms open, feel, if you can, the abundance of blessings in this universe. And if you hold your arms out, no matter how often you go to the gym, I think you'll start to feel the heaviness of all those blessings. Feel it in your body, know it. Turn your hands over. Cast before us are the blessings of this day and run your fingers through them. And see how many you can hold. So many pass through our fingers, but a few, a few that are there in, in our palms. We pull those up, the ones we're meant to take with us. And then we press them into ourselves. They're ours for this day, the blessings, the invitations. And then open your arms in this vulnerable, open position. That is our stance of offering ourselves to the world, as we are. And now let's do it twice through, once with less um, guidance and once silently. So hands back together in a grounded position, the heart center. Hands pressed up, expanse, sky, vast blue stars and Sons beyond, open our arms to the abundance of blessings in this world. Turn our hands over and run them through the blessings dropped at our feet. Incredible abundance and pull towards us the ones that we press into us to take with us this day. Invitations of this day. Open our arms, offering ourselves as we are beautiful and enough. Back to the heart center. And once in silence together. Amen.
Our offering will now be taken for the Center for Farm Worker Families to offer assistance to those displaced and who have lost homes and vehicles and work to all of the recent flooding. I think the fact that the class was at 8 a.m. three days a week was meant to discourage the seniors, at least the ones who were less disciplined from taking her class. Mrs. Laster was head of the department, a PhD in English from Harvard, 
by far one of the most qualified at our public high school, and she bore all the strength and demanding comportment we thought came with that degree, as well as the mastery of her subject. Once in class, half asleep, I blurted out an answer to a question she asked without thinking. In the slow turn of her head and the raised eyebrow, it was clear that whatever character's name I had blurted out without any thought was absolutely and entirely the wrong answer. But in a strange turn of events, Mrs. Laster smiled coyly at me. Is that your answer, she said, as if she suspected me of incredible arch humor of having intentionally said exactly the wrong answer. So panic, which had set in, motivated my atavistic brain to think as quickly as possible, what character is the most opposite to the one I just named? And I smiled and nodded back and shook my head and said another name, and it happened to be right. She laughed, and we moved on. There we were, all of us 17, 18-year-olds, wet behind the ears, applying for colleges, wondering about our future, and reading Shakespeare, including the tragedies. I had a friend in high school who studied music, piano, and voice on weekends. She decided one time to practice Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata on her own because she loved it, and then she asked her piano teacher if they could study it together. She and I were outraged when the teacher said no, that no young person had enough life experience to ever play that piece the way it was meant to be played. Maybe the same could be said of reading King Lear. Certainly it has plenty of over-the-top drama, kings and heirs and bastard children and betrayal and wars and palace intrigue and power games and tragically flawed habits of the heart. But what really did any of us know about this? How many of us were ready to understand tragedy? But these moments do plant seeds. And one of those seeds was when Mrs. Laster asked us to write an essay on something that Lear's daughter, Reagan, said. What need one, the daughter Reagan says aloud while in conversation with her father. It's said to him, interestingly, in third person, almost indirectly, like she's musing on the question with him, but it being Shakespeare, she, he is also talking to us. What need one? I wonder if we knew enough to know the answer at that point in life, we knew enough to ask it and keep asking it. Because it's one of the essential questions to life. What need one? What do we need? In the play at this point, at the point that Reagan asks the question, the old king has already given away his kingdom, split it between his two eldest daughters, because in the game of tell me how much you love me, the two spoke so eloquently of their feelings, and their father was flattered. The youngest girl, Cordelia, so loved her father, though, that she found herself, if you remember, at a loss for words when asked. Her love was beyond naming. But this category of love and nuance was lost on this king. 
And for his youngest daughter's silence, she's banished without kingdom, without family. And Lear lays a plan for a life split between the two daughters' homes and kingdoms. It's not long, though, before the two daughters grow tired of the king and his retinue of a hundred knights and attendants that he insists upon. It's a costly and an unruly bunch, but also one suspects that the daughters tired too of the man whose whim and selfishness they've had to bow to and service their whole lives. Karma stinks sometimes. And Lear, whose love is unpredictable, whose own needs go first, and who seems only to have seen his daughters for how they serve him, he gets from his girls a little of what he gave. The eldest, Goneril, takes away half of her father's retinue. Regan, when the king flees to her, threatens to take away half more. And this king, whose whole life was caught up in the trappings of power and wealth, who would bend the world to his might, finds that neither daughter will bend to his will. And he's being stripped of all of the trappings he invested in and far too much energy and ego in. And it's at this moment that Reagan asks that question, like musing between and among them. What need one? Literally, in the moment, taken at face value, she's asking a practical question. Daddy, how many knights and courtiers do you need at your disposal? We have plenty of staff, she tells him, ones we can command better than yours to serve you if they are inclined to do so. The king could and should lean into their largesse. In fact, they may require that of him. But the question Reagan asks is more than the little one, the literal one. What she and Shakespeare are asking is more than about how many knights and attendants a king, a retired king, requires. They're asking the question the king never seemed to have asked, the one that got him into this particular place. What does a life really need to be secure? What can we lean on? This January, I did a January fast of sorts. Not alcohol, not caffeine, never caffeine. Shopping. The rule was I could buy food and I could buy kind of experiences, so museum and movie tickets and things like that, a lunch out, but not stuff, not breath mints or sweaters or magazines. It was a kind of small what-need-one experiment, you might say. And it revealed some interesting things. First, it's a great way to save money. Second was that necessity is not just the mother of invention, but of deep cleaning and the treasure hunting that results as part of it. It was very exciting some days to find that when I dug in the back of my drawers and closet and pantry, 
that there were the extra light bulbs I needed, a gift certificate that I got at Christmas. And do you know in Cal, a few Christmases ago, do you know in California gift certificates never expire? It's illegal for them to expire. Very fun to find out. I was running out of toothpaste, and I found all those little tiny tubes that the dentist gives you that like don't even really get you through a weekend away. And anyway, I don't really take a lot of weekends away, but they get you through the rest of January. Third, and most surprising, though, of the discoveries was a whole bunch of emotions that I hadn't realized I wasn't paying attention to. It's funny what happens when you stop a reflex, anything I imagine that's become a kind of self-soothing reflex, whether you realized it as you were doing it or not. And part of buying things, for me, served this purpose, even little things, the extra box of tissues, the light bulbs, served this feeling of this purpose of warding off feelings. You only realize it when you stop doing it and you're like, well, what is that thing I'm feeling right now that I can't make go away easily? A feeling of want, a fear of not enough, that none of those things you purchase really make go away. But once you stop soothing them easily, the question arises, not enough of what, really? Vanessa, what need one? Loneliness, the aching, scary sense of the pain and the evil that's in the world, a desire to feel purpose, to know that our days and life matter, Missing people we love because they passed away or because we're just miles away from them and we wish we had them right next to us for a cup of tea or a walk. Missing connection of all kinds to our deepest selves, to others, to the world. This is what bubbled up from this experiment this fast, though if you had asked me if I had any of those feelings, I wouldn't have thought they were nearly as present and just below the surface. And yet there's no real surprise, I think, when we feel these things, these normal human emotions, the ones, in fact, that you and I are supposed to feel if we are alive and paying attention. Some of the ones that tell us exactly what we really want and need. What we would write for Mrs. Laster's paper if she invited personal reflections, which she didn't. What need one? In the play, Lear gives Reagan and her castle and her angry resistance to his will and wishes a not-so-fond farewell, and he leaves, you may recall, if you've seen or read the play, and walks out of the gates into a storm, a storm he rages in the midst of, as much as the storm itself is raging. I think what I once learned is called the pathetic fallacy that nature mirrors our emotions. Pathetic as in pathos. And he goes out into this storm, whether he knows it or not, because his daughter has asked him a question that he is not equipped to answer.
but the storm has the answer for him, I think. Because this fallen king rages in the winds and the rain, accompanied in it by one person, it turns out, a person he also banished once for not particularly good reasons, someone, though, who is loyal enough to have found a way back into the king's company disguised as a simple attendant. And Lear also finds in the storm that his daughter, you may recall, the one he banished, a woman who loves her father beyond words, and now, especially and even despite his flaws, loves him, has gathered an army and is coming to his aid because he believes she was, he was betrayed by his sisters. It doesn't turn out well for Lear in the end, or for his daughters. It's a tragedy after all, but we were warned. <laughs> but maybe the tragedy is not death or loss of a kingdom, but not realizing what you had when you had it. Realizing how often we reap what we sow, which is a great thing or a bad one, depending on what we plant in the world and water and give sunshine to. So what need one? What do we need deep down? How much is enough? It turns out it's much less than we think. It's much less than a legion of MBA marketers would like us to think. Little enough, probably, too, and I'm looking at Betsy Dar up there, that if we could remember to live enough, the planet and our future together on it would have a chance. What do we need? Yell it out for me. What do we need? What are our needs? All of them. Love, connection, safety, friendship, comfort, food, shelter, medical care, clothes, integrity, Jesus, something to believe in, someone to follow. Enough safety from freedom and fear and persecution, enough freedom to think and determine our lives, because that's important to us. The ability to grow. I think what we need is to know, in part, that we're using our life to our power, our privilege, to bend that moral arc of the universe down towards justice, towards the good as we know it, as we were taught it, as we believe it to be. To feel that we're not only growing older, but we are growing wiser. <laughs> And more compassionate, like the compounding interest for us is on growing a soul, and it grows just as big and just as fast, compounding by the years, as any retirement fund does, actually more so than many of them have been lately. And we need what Lear found in the storm. Not a hundred knights and attendants, right? A handful of people, one or two even, but a community if we can find them, that we can lean on, that will hold us up, that will come and find us when we need to be found. 
As Jordan said this morning with his fresh eyes, and I love the fresh eyes of someone who's new to the community, we aren't investing in the building. In this time when we ask how we financially make this church possible, we're not investing in the building. Though it makes and protects space for us to gather, we're investing, as he rightly said, in this, in each other, in what gets us through the storm, and the connections that we make that make us stronger, like synergy, alchemy, and the joy and the dancing that gets us through <laughs> and makes life a celebration as it should be, even when it's hard work asks a lot of us, we need one another. And I don't know how many of us in that 8 a.m. class of Mrs. Laster's knew that for sure, though the ingredients were all there among us even then. Maybe it doesn't take a lifetime to actually know what's important, but it, it does take a lifetime to prove for yourself how true it is. And then it takes a lifetime to live the demands of it. So thank you all for making this community possible in this chapter of its life with your treasure of heart and mind and rolled up sleeves and yes, of financial commitment too. Because what? Need one? It's all here. Amen.
oh, don't sit down. Unless you need to sit down, and then you can sit down. But otherwise, put down your hymnals. Join hands with the person next to you. There's plenty of disinfectant. Oh, by the way, next week, uh, masks are optional. We are in a new era, but you can always wear them if you want and need them. We honor your need to be comfortable. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace, for this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Thank you.